You're listening to Culture Matters, a podcast of the Village Church. This is Adam Griffin, and I'm here with my co-host, the Adam Hawkins. We're joined by Elizabeth Woodson today. Elizabeth, how are you doing? Doing good. Good. I'm so glad you're here with us, and we're here with our dear friend, also Rachel Rosser. Rachel, how are you? Good. Good. Rachel, I'm so glad you're here. Elizabeth, so glad you're here. Adam and I will really need your perspective today as we delve into what's a very difficult and very front-page item right now. On this episode, we're going to discuss the topic of abortion, a lot of the conversation that's happening all over the place, in particular in our nation right now. Before we jump in here, let's take just a second to introduce our guest just a little more thoroughly. Elizabeth Woodson is a good friend of the show. She's been on with us a few times lately. She's a minister with the TVC Institute here at the Village Church, where she teaches classes and Bible studies, and hopefully she's getting a little summer vacation this summer. Elizabeth? I am, and I'm enjoying it. Good. Awesome. You well-deserved. And then Rachel Rosser is a recovery groups minister as what is currently our Plano campus, soon to be Citizens Church with Mr. Adam Hawkins, and she's a licensed biblical counselor. Rachel, how are you doing today? I am still fighting jet lag, but I think I'm doing all right. Fresh back from Africa, where she's been helping people deal with trauma and train people to counsel through trauma. Is that right? That is correct. Awesome. I'm so glad you're doing that and so glad you're here. I always love your voice on this show, but more so in real life. I really love your voice. (laughs) Thank you. Okay, so today we really do have to delve into what's a pretty tough topic. We're talking about abortion today, which for a lot of people is contentious. A lot of people raises such a red flag as a topic that it, it really doesn't get talked about in a lot of social circles, maybe only in the media maybe only in churches where uh, there's a um, maybe a more uh, universal thought on it and in, where it's not going to raise uh, arguments. But why why is it worth a church talking about this? Adam, why is it important for us on this podcast? And this is not our first episode on abortion, but why is it important for us to, uh, to not shy away from a topic like this? It's important not to shy away uh, from this topic because it's a topic of, of extreme importance. Um, we talk a lot about God's heart for the vulnerable, God's heart for the least of these. He talks about caring for the orphan and widow and sojourner among us over and over and over again. And it's hard to think of a um, more vulnerable population maybe uh, than the unborn who don't have a voice for themselves. So we've, we've said that before on the yeah. show. Um, I think it's also important to talk about the topic, though, because uh, um, of just the, the current cultural climate. We have to be a voice that can speak in, not and, and I think we've got to be careful, not necessarily from a political perspective, but from a theological perspective, a Christian perspective. And, and certainly sometimes those things dovetail, right? Yeah. Um, but I, I do, I would say, is that right? Does dovetail come yeah. together or go, okay, yeah. Dovetail comes together. <laughs> certainly sometimes those things dovetail. Yeah, you're gonna have to cut all the laughter. Sorry, it's okay. marker. Market, um, but uh, uh, really, that our aim is not to score political wins. Our aim is to uh, stand uh, up for uh, uh, the vulnerable and to recognize the humanity in in um, in all people. So. Yeah, this topic's very front of mind right now because it's politically and socially, it's a pretty hot topic. It's uh, it's in the news every day right now. Rachel, Elizabeth, have you seen any of this in the wood in the news lately? Oh, gosh. I mean, I've seen my Twitter feed just explode. Um, hashtag Alabama. 
yeah. and and just people having commentary on both sides of the line um, about how we should respond to that women's right to choose, and then you have the church coming behind and the being pro life, um, just the life of the unborn child, and so kind of these conversations very polarizing, mm-hmm. going back and forth. Yeah, polarizing is a good word, Rachel. Mm-hmm. Why do you think this is so polarizing? Why are there people that uh, are entrenched on either side of this? I think that for people that are more um, pro-life, they're thinking about it often. They're thinking about it from the sanctity of life and seeing that we've been created in the image of God and really looking at, well, when does that begin? Uh, And then how are we to steward our bodies? And then we also have individuals um, that are talking about that their bodies are their own and that they don't want government involved in specifically dictating what, when, uh, and how um, they'll continue to um, produce and bring life into this world. Yeah. What's fascinating about this topic is there are different arguments. It often seems like we're not arguing the same thing, though, right? It's a mm-hmm. polarizing topic where on one side of the argument, somebody's making an argument for individual freedoms, private choices, uh, sanctity of their own bodies. Mm-hmm. And then there's somebody on the other side of the argument who's not arguing those points. They're actually arguing about the sanctity of the life inside the womb. They're arguing about when life begins. And it's almost like they're entrenched positions facing each other across the battlefield, but each of them is their their diatribe, mm-hmm. their, their propaganda. Their, um, their materials they put out, everything that they believe, their mantras are different. They're talking about two different things, although they portray the other person as against mm-hmm. what they're talking about. Yeah. So if you are uh, pro-choice or you're pro-abortion, you might say, I'm pro-women's rights. I'm pro-a woman's right to choose. I'm pro-private decisions with her doctor, and they are not. And the pro-life people are saying, we are pro-women uh, in the womb and boys in the womb, and we are pro-unborn uh, life, and the other people are not. And it's almost like they're not talking to each other at all, which makes legislative moments like this really fascinating when people are getting fired up about different sides of a topic, but without really talking to each other or responding to what the other person is saying. So one of the reasons this is a big deal right now is in Alabama, they've passed a bill that says, uh, basically it's called the heartbeat bill. If a baby has a heartbeat, you cannot abort it. And babies have heartbeats as soon as six weeks. Most women don't even know they're pregnant as soon as six weeks. So in essence, this is saying in Alabama, uh, abortions will no longer be available the way they have been or the way they are in the rest of the country. And we're seeing a lot of this too, because there's a belief well, there's at least a movement that believes that there's a day coming when Roe v. Wade will be overturned as a federal law mm-hmm. and which will uh, remove all abortion rights back to a, a state's law issue, which is mm-hmm. why you saw New York do this this last year, Alabama doing it right now. And you're seeing a lot of legislation mm-hmm. being yeah. pushed through yeah. uh, state rooms uh, to, to say, what is our state going to do when mm-hmm. it comes to abortion? Uh, so when it comes to all that, how do Christians interact with this legislation? Is this something we should even pay attention to? I mean, we're not lawmakers. We're church people. We're pastors. Mm-hmm. We're teachers. We're ministers. We deal with what we'll talk about a little bit. And Rachel, your room, it's the heart room. We're dealing with the, the mm-hmm. fallout from it. We're dealing with, yes, influencing minds, but legislation. Adam, should we even be thinking about this? Is this a church's place to be involved in legislation and judicial? I mean, you're, you're a man of the bar, a man of... You're an attorney. Yeah, I mean, I think we we have to think as as Christians who are part of this society, we have to think about legislation. It's one of the ways that we are. Um, um, uh, it's one of the responsibilities we have as, as citizens of of our country, obviously. Uh, um, but I, I, you know, it's 
the reality is, is that in our form of government, it's the people, right, right. who get to ultimately decide. And so if we were just to say, well, as Christians, we're going to bar ourselves off from thinking about legislation, from thinking about what's happening in the in the sort of, um, um, le- you know, either legal realm or judicial realm, like in the courts, or we're not going to think about what's happening in terms of passing new laws and things like that. Well, then we're sort of cutting ourselves out of a, a huge part of the process of what it means to govern this country. You're right. Uh, and so I think just from a, a sense of responsibility and stewardship, maybe is a word mm-hmm. that Christians would, would understand. We should think about our voices are important to right. all of these issues. Um, I think what makes this particular legislation uh, difficult to understand for, for some people is for a long time, Christians weren't trying to pass this type of legislation. And so it's hard not to see this as a move to overturn Roe v. Wade. In fact, most people, most commentators as they're looking at it are saying, well, because of uh, Trump's victory in the White House and then him putting in the Supreme Court more conservative judges, you have Kennedy probably going to retire soon. Uh, and, and let me just say, I apologize, for some people this is all going to just be like, what, are, what is he talking about? But for some people, you'll understand what I'm saying. But basically, um, Kennedy is a, a swing vote judge, and uh, he's somebody who sort of is fairly moderate on issues. But if if, if he retires during uh, Trump's um, administration. administration, then you'll have another conservative judge on the court. And uh, I think what people are seeing is this might be the moment in time that we can overturn. So they are purposefully putting laws in place that are currently unconstitutional. That is the truth. We can't hide from that. They are current. Roe v. Wade says right now you cannot restrict in a, uh, a, a you cannot put restrictions in place on abortion before the age of viability. Mm-hmm. So on purpose, and, and this is what people do basically to try to get laws overturned. This is how you test basically cases to try to right, get like them to the Supreme Court. Marijuana in Colorado. Exactly right. So yeah. you test these cases to try to get them to the Supreme Court. That's actually what pe- what Roe v. Wade was about too. It was mm-hmm. you find a specific person or example and you go to the court knowing it's a controversial issue and your hope is that it makes it w- its way through the court system all the way to the Supreme Court and and then that the Supreme Court would take it on because the Supreme Court doesn't have to take on these right. issues it's not they're not forced to and so uh, some of this is process but the truth is is that is what's going on people are saying hey let's write these laws that are currently unconstitutional and let's hope that the court battles get them up to all the way up to the Supreme Court and then let's hope uh, that it'll it'll be overturned that's what's happening like in Alabama in other states you you mentioned there's this thing called a trigger legislation and so people are passing laws in case Roe v Wade gets overturned because at that state or at that point uh, states would get to decide what to do about abortion and so I think somebody just uh, one state just passed a law saying, uh, if Roe v. Wade gets overturned, we'll make abortion illegal or whatever, mm. or we'll, you know, we'll we'll restrict it. And then other states are saying, if Roe v. Wade gets overturned, we're going to make sure women have the right to choose or something like that. Gotcha. Well, I want to talk deeper about this and get into some of the more uh, heart issues around it and more of uh, kind of ways to think about it. But before we do, let's take just a minute to talk about our sponsor. All right, let's jump back into this topic. Let's talk about human dignity. Let's talk about the unborn. 
Uh, Rachel, the work you've just been doing overseas is helping uh, women whose dignity has been robbed from them, both from a systemic viewpoint and individually, and you're helping them work through their own trauma. And it's because they are valuable and maybe they don't, I haven't been there, maybe they don't see themselves as valuable and you're convincing them some of that. But what is the broader Christian view on human dignity, on people's inherent individual value? It really depends on, as a believer, do you continue to submit to yourself that you were made in his image when it goes right back to Genesis 1 and 26 and 27, that we would be like um, him. And so it depends on if you continue to submit yourself to that. So as a believer in Christ, I do, and that we were were created before the fall, we were created like him. Um, And so oftentimes people don't, especially people that have experienced trauma and abuse, don't see themselves um, through the lens of how God sees and what God says about us. And so for believers, um, who God says we are, right, that we've been made in his image to be little mirrors, to reflect him back to a lost and broken world. Um, Many people don't, even Christians, forget they have what I often call just gospel amnesiacs. They forget who they are, and they forget that who they've been made to reflect. Elizabeth, what role does that play in abortion? When we're talking about human dignity, the value of every human life, why, when we're talking about it, even if even if somebody opposed to us isn't talking about human value, they're talking about the human choice or human individuality. Why is human value where we have to start when it when we talk about abortion? You know, I think it's this idea that, um, like Rachel said, that we're all made in the image of God, and so that we have inherent dignity and worth. And so that baby, no matter how old in the mother's room, is a life. Mm-hmm. And our one of our foundational beliefs as Christians is this idea of biblical flourishing, that we exist here to work alongside God to redeem humanity and restore creation. And so we need to be people who fight for the folks who don't have a voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It's a life. It's made in the image of our creator. And so therefore we are seeking to push forward its flourishing, even though it's inside the mother's womb. And that has to ground our understanding of how we approach abortion, abortion um, the Imaho Dei. How we treat everyone else is how the same way we treat um, the unborn child. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to the image of God, there are people out there who would say uh, decisions that we wouldn't make with adults are okay to make with somebody unborn when it comes to human value. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've seen people make gender-selective abortions where they say, oh, because it's not the boy we wanted, Mm -hmm. then we'll end Mm -hmm. this life. We've seen people say because of the circumstances of the conception, it's okay to end this life. Or the perceived quality of life they'll have because of disabilities that they've been diagnosed with in the womb. Then it's okay to abort because we want to uh, protect the child from maybe having a difficult life, which is never a decision, in our culture at least, that you would make for a two-year-old or a four-year-old or a ten-year-old. But in our culture, there's been a removal of human dignity for Mm -hmm. anybody before the moment of birth. And in some ways, legally, there are no legal rights for someone Mm -hmm. before they were born. It is only up to whether or not the mother of the child wants them or not, whether Mm -hmm. or not they have value in our culture, which for a lot of us is abhorrent. Because if we believe that a human being before birth is a living human being, then they should have the same rights and privileges as the rest of us. Whether Mm -hmm. we're living in a dystopian future or the present, we need to look at unborn children and say, these are human beings deserving of the same dignity, quality of life notwithstanding, and uh, race notwithstanding, and gender notwithstanding, and, and say, these people deserve a voice. And what's different about the unborn is they don't have a voice to speak up for themselves. Now, there are ways that this movement 
for a Christianity. We have not done this perfectly. We have not mm-hmm. worked this out perfectly. We miss this all the time. But I, mm-hmm. I can say we. I'm not saying that I've played this huge role in it. I'm saying we trying to own it as collectively as I can mm-hmm. to say those people who want to advocate for the life of those who are not born have not done so perfectly. Mm-hmm. Adam, we've done this uh, wrong in a lot of ways. What are the, some of the ways, what are some of the things that we forget in the pro-life movement to remember, to communicate, or to hear well when we're talking about abortion? I think we forget the dignity of those that are born. Mm-hmm. And here's what I mean by that. Mm-hmm. Typically, the the people, the moms making mm-hmm. these choices and the circumstances mm-hmm. they're in. And I understand, let me say this, I understand um, that that um, we are shocked in, 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 in wanting to protect uh, the life of the child. But so often the, the mothers in these positions are in really dire circumstances. Mm-hmm. And I think that just needs to be said. You know, yeah. I'm not excusing anything. I'm right. not. I'm simply saying uh, we have th- thought very little about mm-hmm. the mothers and fathers in these situations. Mm-hmm. And we've thought and maybe put all of our focus on the unborn in these situations. And so mm-hmm. um, I think that's one way we've missed it. And so how, what does that mean? It's meant that we're cold in terms of our rhetoric. It, mm-hmm. It's meant that we're cold in terms of the care we provide. It's meant that um, we pay lip service to things like adoption, but we're not really involved mm-hmm. in it, you know, and on and on and on I could go. But I, mm-hmm. I would just, maybe that's what I would highlight um, is is a big piece of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Advocate that we would show the same di- value and dignity on the mother involved, the mm-hmm. father involved, the difficult people involved in the circumstances yeah. around mm-hmm. the birth, as well as yeah. In addition mm-hmm. to, yes. not instead of. Yes, we're saying in addition to that, we've missed that a lot. And I think cold way of saying it. That's that's right. We've been cold sometimes in saying this is we're advocating for a life and missing the mother and father. I've heard a lot of the challenges that come at pro-life people saying, that, why don't you care more about foster kids? Why don't mm-hmm. you care more about those who want to be adopted? Why don't you care more yeah. about single moms? Yeah. And honestly, the truth is, and we've said this before on the show, if, if any in any way those are accurate in describing our church, that we don't care about foster children, we don't care about those who want to be adopted, or we don't care about single moms, mm-hmm. then that is an accurate right. Uh, right. rebuke. Right. Then mm-hmm. we should be corrected. Right. Yeah. But mm-hmm. at, we can say those things are true without saying, uh, if I'm caring for single moms and I love moms that are in crisis pregnancy, I'm loving fathers that are in the same situations, I get to have an opinion mm-hmm. on the unborn. Mm-hmm. And I get to say those things, and it does not negate my opinion on the unborn to also repentantly have to walk in areas where I didn't get it right before. But should what about people who think differently than us on this? Because you talked about, yeah, women that are in the crisis pregnancy. What about just people who are pro-choice, people that are uh, politically affiliated differently? Uh, is there a lack of charity that we've had towards people, or is there in the coldness or even in the vitriolic, angry responses? Should we have more sympathy for those who maybe honestly are thinking we're advocating against women? Mm-hmm. What do you think, Rachel? I think what's always really helpful is to listen well to your opposition and to learn how to empathize with them in a way. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to agree, but to actually ask great questions and to hear, like, how did they form that opinion? Um, were they raised by a single mom? Did they experience trauma in their life? Are they really fearful of having a government be in control of what they can and can't do to their bodies? And so being able to listen to what their argument is, um, not for the reason to argue back and not so that you have an answer, but to actually try to understand them, to empathize, to pray for them, and to really enter into, hey, well, let's talk about that. Let's dialogue about Mm -hmm. that. Because often people don't, um, many people who do subscribe to that don't necessarily... 
they don't believe uh, in the God that we believe in, and they don't believe that creation starts um, from him, that he is the author and sustainer of life. Good. And so then you're talking about a different question. Not only is this a question about um, are you pro-choice, are you pro-life, but you know who actually do you believe is the author and sustainer of life? That's excellent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I do believe that uh, that's a, a really important port, point, especially when we talk about listening and empathy. That in order to be a good listener, I have to try to understand where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. And if somebody's saying, I really believe this is a choice that a woman needs to make with her doctor because it's it, it inhibits her freedom otherwise. And if I hear in that, well, you're not understanding the unborn child, which I do hear in that. But if I miss in that, then what she's saying is I'm trying to advocate for women to have freedom from being uh, oppressed by something. And I go, oh, mm-hmm. me too. I want that too. I do not want women to feel oppressed. I do not want women to feel like you have obligations that the world is going to force upon you because mm-hmm. of your gender. And at the same time, I don't doesn't mean I have to agree that women inside the womb do not get the same freedoms afforded to them. Mm-hmm. But should we be talking more? You brought up dads. I don't hear much in that discussion nationally. What about dads in these circumstances? Should should dads and should men be a bigger part of this issue? I do hear people say, well, men shouldn't be making this choice. Elizabeth, what do you think? When it comes to men and this issue, are we not talking enough about men being involved? I mean, I think um, men are involved in this conversation, and I think sometimes in ways that might not be seen as helpful. Um, I think we do need to um, have conversations about it takes two. It's not just one. And so what's the responsibility of the man in the conversation and him being someone else that pushes forward the flourishing of that baby as well? Um, But I also think about the dynamics of what it looks like to have men who are making decisions about women's bodies. And so I think to... To I think to piggyback on something Rachel was talking about, I think this idea of where the implications of the legislator that we're pushing through and so understanding people's idea of privacy, like what if, if this is a starting point, then what else can come from it? Not saying that this shouldn't be, but how do we open up ours to see what people's fears are based in um, and opening up rooms of conversation to include more voices at the table, but then bringing men in and saying, hey, you're a part of this. Yeah. You helped create this baby. There ought to be responsibility mm-hmm. for you and caring for the man because mm-hmm. he's also vulnerable. I think living in a culture where he might be socialized to say that you have freedom from this, the baby is the woman's problem, and it's not your problem, that's not how God sees it. And so how do we push forward a view for marriage and family and all those things? And that's discipleship for our men as well. And so Mm -hmm. they definitely need to be brought to the conversation in a way that's really helpful. Yeah, you're exactly right. We can't lean on uh, men's inability to be who they were supposed to be in the past to say, well, since men have abdicated responsibility in the family historically and in this generation, well, then they should have no point in making good decisions going forward. Or only men that are super involved should be involved at this point. We need to call our society in every sense of the word to be followers of Christ. And we think that in following Christ, they would see the value in every life. And a man would see his value as a father or as a husband Mm -hmm. and would see it as depriving a child of something the Lord has said is good when they refuse to be involved in the life of their child as a disciple maker who leads people to be a friend and follower of Jesus Christ. All right. There's a reason that this uh, conversation is hard to have sometimes. And there's a reason that this conversation is difficult to find your way out of because it is extremely extremely complicated, probably more complicated than most people on either side of the aisle, either side of this discussion are even willing to admit. It's not just about who you're going to vote for. And it's not just about limiting abortions. You just think about the law that just came out, a heartbeat bill. So if a Christian is celebrating the heartbeat bill, are they celebrating that we can still abort a life before it has a heartbeat? Are we celebrating that it's a step in the right direction? Because really, is it like far enough or not 
far enough. You could talk about that all day long. If we want to overthrow a Supreme Court case, well, are we for undoing everything the Supreme Court has done? And if so, what is the role of the judicial branch and what is the role of the legislative branch of government to be able to create laws if we can say, well, if one state wants to overdo it or if we have the right number of votes when it comes down to nine people, we'll change things. And I know that legislation is downstream from culture, but think about this for just a second. Think about the ramifications for in vitro fertilization, for hormonal birth birth control. When you're saying if we criminalize abortion, are we now saying that hormonal birth control, Christian women, would now be illegal for you because there are uh, there's a there's a possibility of a conceived egg that will have a volatile environment and therefore can't cannot implant. And what is the criminal prosecution for a woman who breaks this law or a doctor who breaks this law? Are we saying they should go to jail? Is it for murder? And so you see how all these arguments start to go down these long rabbit trails of very complicated issues to unwind when we want to, and and in some ways rightfully so, say. But what I'm really trying to do is advocate for someone who is a human life. I get that, and I'm all in on that. In fact, I am dedicated my life to speaking up for the unborn and speaking up for those who cannot speak for themselves. But I also want to clarify, this is not a simple issue, and it will probably bring up more conflicts internally and institutionally than we're even willing to say right now in a national world when it comes to both making laws, breaking laws, and what it means for your personal choices as it uh, comes to medications for your own body or your or um, the Christian sexual ethic. There's a lot of these things involved. This is why it gets very complicated. So knowing that we can't unwind all of those things here. Everything I just said probably fired somebody up, probably fired off an email to me right now, right this second. I don't know. But let's take it for a second and just try to be helpful. Let's talk about practically what we believe Christians can do when it comes to approaching abortion. How do we need to be careful not to be part of just an angry online social media mob that is no one is actually hearing and listening and in that saying like, well, see, I'm doing what I can because I posted on my Facebook, because I posted on Facebook and Twitter. But how do we get more involved than that? How do we do more? Rachel, what can, a, what can an individual do to try to serve somebody in a crisis pregnancy or someone who's been through trauma? Or what can a church do to practically help someone? What should a Christian do? There's a lot of things that a Christian can do. We can um, volunteer at crisis pregnancy centers. We can donate money, time, resources to them. Um, there's a great organization called Young Lives. It's um, unwed uh, teen girls. You can volunteer to mentor them. You can open up your home uh, to a single mom with children. You can open up your home to a pregnant mom. Um, You can disciple men uh, that are involved in just these sexual relationships with women. Um, You can disciple young women. Um, You can start at a really early age and talking about um, why these things matter, what is important. Uh, You can foster. uh, You can foster to adopt. You can volunteer to uh, be respite care. Um, I have dear friends uh, that are about to adopt uh, their foster son, and you can definitely volunteer to babysit for respite care because foster parents definitely need this. Um, And you can help out. You can um, really seek to help the women uh, and the men that are in these situations and really come in compassionately and listen to them, care for them, not just for the baby like we've been talking about, but for them, for their hearts. What has shaped this woman to where this is kind of what she's choosing? This is what she's afraid of. Uh, This is where her desire is in a way that doesn't seek to shame her, but really to bring about more life, uh, the life that of the unborn child and just um, life for her. And so definitely just an ongoing process of discipleship. It's been really sweet. There was a family uh, at our church that took in a woman 
a young single mom uh, who was pregnant and just seeing them continue to care for her uh, after her son was born. Um, it's just been such a blessing and she is such a part of that family's life uh, and vice versa. And so it's been a sweet thing to watch that they didn't just leave after the child was born, but that they've stayed involved with her and her son. Those are great examples. And that's a great story. Um, Adam and Elizabeth, could each one of you take one side of a question for me? Adam, can you tell us what's the danger if all we do is talk in angry tones about this topic or just blow up people on social media? And Elizabeth, could you, after that, could you maybe talk about what's the danger if we don't say anything or if we're just trying so hard to be winsome and trying to avoid conflict about something that's really, really important? I think the danger in just being another loud voice is that um, besides being ineffective, frankly, uh, is that you miss the other person. And, um, and that is, uh, uh, that can, that there's probably a continuum where on one side that could be a sin and on the other side that could just make you a fool. And, yeah. and, and I, I don't want to be either. I don't want to be sinful and disobedient. And I also don't want to be a fool. And so I, I, I think, um, uh, uh, I think the, the heart of God would say that we see into each other's circumstances, that we would be able to sit across from somebody and empathize with them, that we would listen, that we would be slow to speak. Right. Um, and in doing so, uh, you know, the, on the one hand, we're representing the love of Christ to somebody when we do that. And on the, which we're supposed to do that with, to our enemies, by the way. So, um, that's, I think that's one point, but the other thing, and this is a totally different argument and not a pastoral one, but it's also going to make you a lot more effective when it comes to actually talking about abortion and why you believe what you believe about it. Cause you won't create straw men that are easy to defeat. Right. right? Yeah. Elizabeth, what about those people who are tempted to just Oh, I just want to keep everything. I don't want to rock the boat. I'm just not going to say anything. What's the danger in that? Um, silence is a voice. Mm-hmm. And when you're silent, you're not speaking on behalf of those who are mm-hmm. oppressed and vulnerable. And I think if there's something really clear in Scripture, we see that that's the heart of our God. Um, and so we might not fully understand the problem and we might not fully understand how to fix it. But what we do know is that God calls us mm-hmm. to lean in. Um, and the problem is significant. You know, I think, again, the narrative of the women that this mm-hmm. is the option they choose isn't one we paint very kindly. But mm-hmm. if this is an option that you're looking for, you're not doing it haphazardly. And so how do we look at the systems and situations and circumstances that are causing you to have that, um, even if it's just your fear of your child growing up in a certain environment, because you know the resources that you will not have. Um, and so how do we as people lean into the resources that are lacking, the programs that aren't there? We can't be a people who say we're pro-life and for the baby in the womb, but then we're not for the programs that allow mm-hmm. that baby to thrive after they're born, Good. or we're mm-hmm. not for um, justice for that child when that child is no longer a baby, but they're mm-hmm. 16 years old and have an interaction with um, law enforcement that's not as positive. Like we have to be consistent in that because that's the heart of our God. And so I think what we see with just a lot of issues in culture now is they're complicated and in fear, we just want to step back. But that literally is not our option. If we call the name of Christ, we have to step into the mess because that's just what Christ calls us to do. Amen. 
I'm going to be pro-life womb to tomb. Yep. Yeah. What yep. does that mean? Real quick, just unpack that. Womb to tomb. Womb to tomb. That means caring about not just the babies that are in the womb, but caring, just like Elizabeth said, caring about the child, caring about the kid that doesn't have a dad, caring about the young mm-hmm. adult that's incarcerated, caring about the refugee. Um, and so you want to care about every person because if we're saying that we're made in the image of God, it's not just the child in the womb, but it's the person that looks different than me, mm-hmm. um, that we've all been created in his image to reflect him. We believe women deserve people to be honest with them about what's really happening inside their bodies. And I do believe there's a there's a pervasive lie around abortion in our culture about it not being a life. And I think you know, part of what we can do is be a gentle voice that is a truth-telling voice to say we think we deserve to know. If you're going to really make a choice when it concerns these things, legal or not, you deserve to know what's happening inside you and and as, as a human is created and and if, uh, and if people look inside the womb and they see something that looks like a clump of cells to realize that's what a human looks like when it first starts out. And let's be honest with one another, that is a human. And that's what a human looks like until, you know, a couple weeks later when it has a heart and lungs. And, and if you look at that and you go, this doesn't really look like a human. No, that's exactly what a human looks like in that stage of development. So let's be honest with one another about what's really going on. Let's be gentle in our responses. Let's not say nothing. Let's help people through understanding the environment and the circumstances which they've been through may have been traumatic. And let's remember that our vote is not enough. To say that we're involved in ending something that is awful and should go away, which is the death of those people uh, that are not born yet, to say, well, I voted for somebody for whom that was their platform is not what the Lord's called us to. Your call is to love your neighbor as yourself, not to vote for someone who's advocating a position that they may or may not even act on to love their neighbor as themselves. So let's be a church that's involved in helping people in crisis and a voice for those who can't speak for themselves. If there's anything you heard on the show that you'd like to know more about, you can find details on our website, tbcresources.net. Today's episode was produced by David Rourke and edited and mixed by Chris Starrett. We'll see you next time. God bless. Thanks for listening.